please give us a quick introduction of yourself. Who are you? Where did you come from? What made you into who you are today? I'm a state-raised former prisoner. What the fuck do you mean by state-raised? I started doing time at the age of 13 in the Utah State Industrial School for Boys because Alaska didn't have a, uh, where I was from, Fairbanks, didn't have a juvenile facility at the time. And they didn't even have a prison at the time. And that started, uh, that started uh, me on a life of uh, petty crime. And in 1960, around 1968, somewhere, you know, the uh, mid to late 60s, I was in the, after a whole series of crimes, I wound up in the United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island, Washington. And it was there in 1971 that uh, I became politicized. And I started studying politics. And when I was released in, I guess, around 72, 74, somewhere in there, I and another prisoner uh, organized the uh, Washington State Prisoners Labor Union. We believed, and I continue to believe, that change on the inside, real change, significant change, some token reforms can come down from the top, but real change, enforceable change, uh, comes from the empowerment of prisoners from the bottom up. Hell yeah. So that has been the, the focus of prison focus, uh, is to try to help empower prisoners. And we've done so most recently through the series of uh, hunger strikes in which on the first day of the last strike, there were 33,000 prisoners participating and another 2,600 uh, refusing to work. Now, the only way that the prisons in California or anywhere for that matter can function is if the prisoners perform uh, non-custody function, functions such as uh, scrubbing the floors, mowing the lawns, cooking the meals, serving the food, all of, the, all of this stuff is done by prisoners. If prisoners withheld their labor as they have a right to under the United Nations International Declaration of Human Rights, oh, yeah. then they could bargain, they could organize, they could bring about change. Hmm. The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution abolished slavery for everyone except those convicted of a crime. Yeah, I don't think people truly appreciate the fact that you still have... ...have legalized slavery in America for 2.3 million people. The 13th Amendment must be abolished to eliminate the slavery provision because for as long as the courts and state attitudes regard prisoners as slaves of the states, things are not going to improve. Being convicted of a crime does not deprive you of your civil rights, such as the right to vote. Mm. But across the board, prisoners are disenfranchised from the political process that one would think you would want to get them uh, more involved with. But that evidently is not the case. So you'll see here, working to extend democracy to all. Uh, and as I said, there's, there's 2.3 million people who, who are disenfranchised from the political process. If prisoners were allowed to vote, uh, most of these prisons are located in remote areas, and the local politicians would just be clamoring for the prisoner vote. I mean, <laughs> the block of uh, votes by prisoners is, is, things would change relatively fast if prisoners had the right to vote, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, obviously highest prison population in the world, and that's going to be a lot of votes, isn't it? Things would change relatively fast also if the status of uh, prisoners was different than that of slave. Now, I know a lot of people will think this is a really uphill struggle. Yeah, it's not an everyday occurrence. Like I remember not too long ago when interracial marriages 
were a crime in, in, in many states. Things that seemed almost unachievable in the past uh, with the passage of time and struggle uh, are achievable. Look at the uh, gay rights movement. How long ago was it that, uh, that the notion of gay marriage was so foreign as to be laughable? Yeah, laughable to liberals, but yeah, I mean, it's very recent. And now, in a huge number of states, it is legal and it's pre That has been the focus of, of trying to move prisoners, uh, organize them from the bottom up. Uh, we can't really organize them. All we can do is, is, is encourage them to organize themselves. Uh, we're not going to be able to organize the prisoners from the streets. First of all, they, would, they wouldn't have it, and we shouldn't have it either. But we can support them. There is a tendency on the inside uh, that would like us to fight their struggle for them. But we can't do that. Uh, we can only support. Our, our role out here is to amplify their voice. Yeah, totally, and help them obviously find their voice. It's like before finding out what historical materialism is. You're basically illiterate to the functions of history, society, culture, and all of that shit that influences your life and your thoughts and who you are. So obviously when you were 13, you got arrested for unfair banks that wasn't a political act in by no means, shape or form. I guess maybe it was because every, every kid thinks fuck the teachers. Um, and that just says something about, you know, authority and power structure. I don't know why, I don't know whether it's worth mentioning, but I've mentioned it. But when was the first time, like, you actually went into prison for a political act? And what was that for? Well, I was arrested for being a member of the George Jackson Brigade during a failed bank robbery. We, we called it bank expropriation. Hell yeah. Well, you needed to raise funds for the activities that you were doing, the revolutionary activities you were doing. It is expropriation because... These banks stole it from the workers through surplus labour and the global south. So stealing money for banks to use for revolutionary purposes, to pay rent, buy food, keep you alive and stay underground was essential at the time. So, so this is one of the first times that you were actually arrested for revolutionary political activity against the capitalist imperialist parasites in the Imperial Corps. So how did they react to your revolutionary activities inspired by the words of George Jackson? Uh, I was ultimately convicted and sentenced to uh, prison. Uh, when I arrived at the uh, Washington State Penitentiary at Walla Walla, uh, they placed me directly in the uh, hole. So I, I uh, was being booked into the segregation unit. It's called the it's a it's a shoe security housing unit. So I was being booked in, and in front of me there was a kid I don't know 20 years old or something like that. I think I was around 33 or 34 at the time, and uh, I didn't talk to him, didn't pay any attention to him. I was in my own head, as I'm sure he was. So the guards, you know, they take your clothes, lift up your nutsack, bend over, spread your cheeks, uh, you know, naked. Uh, a humiliating experience, but you know it's one that you know you get used to. And so uh, we were placed on B tier of uh, uh, the Seg unit. Uh, I was in cell 10; he was in cell 11. I went into the cell. There were boogers on the bars and boogers on the walls everywhere. Nasty that we call them bogies. Uh, there was fecal matter. Shit. Uh, smeared on the walls. 
in, in huge patches like that, you know, all around. Mm. And I asked uh, ask the guard for some cleaning equipment so I, could, so I could clean my cell. He says, that can only be done on a day shift. And all it was was just a lazy guard, you know, just a, just a, they probably put me in there on purpose because I didn't like them. Uh, so this is my first night, and at about seven o'clock that night, uh, there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in there. I've been cleaning up as best I could with what I had, you know, using toilet paper or whatnot, and and I heard a commotion in the, in, in in the cell next to me, and I went over to the bars and looked over, and it was a group of about six prisoners, who were trying to get into this kid's cell in order to uh, rape him. Because at Walla Walla at the time, uh, that is how you established your place in the pecking order, is by uh, buying and selling or raping uh, more vulnerable prisoners made you more of a man. And I didn't know that, but... Mm. And, and when they, uh, there was the guard at the end of the... There were times of huge conflict within that segregation unit and times of peace. And this was a time of peace. And the guards want to get along. When, when there's times of conflict, the prisoners are throwing shit and piss and all kinds of other mixtures onto the guards as they come onto the tier. Yeah, fecal matter and that, good. Fuck the screws. So they want to get along. They want everything to go smoothly. And so here's the guard at the end of the tier trying to get this kid's cell open so these guys can get in. Well, the kid is sticking a hardcover book in, the, in between the door and the, and the bars so it won't open. And then this gang of rapists grab for the book. He pulls it back. The guard tries to open the door. He sh- pushes the book in. And this goes on for a little while, and I'm saying to him, oh, my, you know. Mm, obviously, yeah. I, I need to say, you know, stop, you villains. You know, this is wrong, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid they're going to come try and get my cell if I, if I say something. Uh, one of them goes down to the sink at the end of the tier and gets a pitcher of hot water and throws it in on the prisoner. But that doesn't work either. The guard tires of the whole thing. And the prisoners disperse and go back to their cells or do whatever they do. Uh, these were, uh, your exercise period is when you get out on the tier. And so, the, uh, uh, and you get out of your cell and get to walk the tier for one hour. And so that's, that's what it's like. There was a kid further down the tier while I was in there. Two guys went in and ra- he's a young kid. Two guys, they gave him some drugs went in and raped him, told him to go take a shower. He did. They came back, and they, 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 they strangled him to death and, and hung a sheet around the bars to make it look like he had, like he had uh, stra- uh, committed suicide. Yeah, that's fucking common on the outside as well. Uh, one of the guys that was did that has since been released. I mean, <sighs> you know, never caught. I mean, Obviously, literally just how it is. So that's what it's like. Uh, it, it's, just, it's, it's cannibalism. Hmm. And, and, and that's what it was like when I went in there. Savage. But uh, we were able to turn it around, completely turn it around. Yeah, totally turn it around, men against sexism and that. When you take a group of rats and overcrowd them, uh, they develop aberrant behaviors. Uh, and, and I think that's pretty much the same if you, if you treat, you know, with human beings. Uh, yeah, obviously, and especially with everything, the culture and felon bullshit, they're going to feel like rats too, so why not fucking act like vermin? 
But like you're a Marxist amongst all of this, seeing all this chaos and barbarity and savagery take place and literal fucking murder. What the fuck did you do about it and how the fuck did you go about it? So we organized a struggle within the segregation unit and there were four tiers, 24 cells on each tier. We put out a, a newsletter, we communicated with the population as best we could. And as a result of this, the population went on strike. They listed 14 demands. The first demand on the list was to rectify conditions in the, uh, uh, in the security housing unit. That strike went on for 47 days. And during all that time, uh, it was a major news story within the state of Washington. On the radio, in the newspapers, television, uh, prison officials were interviewed, guards were interviewed, talking heads were interviewed, other talking heads. In all that time, in like 43 days, not a single prisoner was interviewed or even asked what this was about. On about day 44, the George Jackson Brigade bombed two Rainier banks, issued a communique pointing out the interlocking directorship between the uh, Rainier banks and the Seattle Times, the, the, the city's major newspaper, and pointed out that during all of this time, this long strike, not a single prisoner had been interviewed, nor any hint given that the prisoners might have an issue. They were just... So, reporters, of course, don't like to think of themselves as mouthpieces for the ruling class, you know, which they actually are. <laughs> uh, so, if they went out and interviewed a couple prisoners. Wow, he landed in this prison and caused a strike. On day 47, the strike ended. Harold Bradley, the uh, director of corrections for the state of Washington, was fired. B.J. Ray, the warden of the Washington State Penitentiary, was removed. The associate warden of custody, custody Harvey, was sent to the kids' joint at uh, Shelton. And we, who call ourselves the Walla Walla Brothers, were released to the general population where we went on to form men against sexism and put an end to the practice of prisoner-on-prisoner -prisoner rape and the buying and selling of prisoners by other prisoners. Hell yeah. We did this through a lot of means. We were ultimately able to... Uh, uh, get the administration to recognize uh, MAS and to give us an air-conditioned office. What? So that's, that's how powerful what? the queers were in Walla Walla at that time. Hell yeah. I mean, prisoners could wear dresses, lipstick. Uh, they drew the line when I, when I went and told the social warden I wanted panties. They said, <laughs> no, that's not happening. <laughs> Power to you. That, that ultimately, the problem of crime and punishment can't be solved within the context of the existing social order, that it require a radical transformation of existing class relations in order to bring about the kind of changes needed in order to abolish crime. Wherever you find pockets of poverty, you're going to find high levels of crime. And given the inequality of income in the United States, uh, we're going to continue to have that. You can focus on the individual as much as you want, but it's a systemic problem and it can't be solved. 2.3 million prisoners in the United States. There are 14.7 million ex-convicts on the streets under under some form of uh, supervision, parole, probation, uh, house arrest, whatever you want to call it. And then there are the, the friends and family members of that, what is now about 14, 15, 16, almost 20 million people. I mean, the the resources there, the strength, is there to bring this movement to fruition. We just need uh, 
Well, I'm not, if I knew what we needed, I, I would be doing it. But we definitely need, prisoners need to be at the point of this spear. And everything that they need to do, they need, and what we need to emphasize to them is nonviolence. It's their peaceful protest that will, uh, that will ultimately prevail, their, their unity. If they have the unity, uh, they can shut them down uh, for an extended period of time. That'll bring the state to its knees, and then this conversation can start happening on a real uh, equal footing. And so uh, that's where we need to go, in my opinion, in order to bring about the kind of changes that need to be brought about on the inside. The reps in August of 2012 issued uh, this agreement to end hostilities, signed by all the gang members, uh, leaders and sent it out. Uh, and we published it and, and in the Rock and in Prison Focus and sent it out throughout California prisons. And as a result of that, uh, prisoner-on-prisoner -prisoner violence, uh, uh, particularly gang-related uh, violence, has dropped to negligible. Damn, you are brave. So that's where, that's where things stand right now. Because uh, of the George Jackson Brigade. We're at, a, we're, at a we're at a difficult point right now because the CDCR, the California Department of Corrections, and rehabilitation uh, has has uh, skillfully uh, defeated these struggles by the prisoners in the, in the segregation unit. I mean, they've done a lot. Uh, the number of people in the shoe are down. Uh, a lot of them have been released to population, and, and so there has been you know, and people within the shoe units have you know pull up bars and uh, more access to uh, television and and, and st stuff like that. Even though they're locked in their cells 23 hours a day or more. Uh, so the strikes did do some good, but they didn't do enough good. And what needs to happen is that the prisoners in the general population need to be, need to be engaged. I have my own agenda. Oh yeah? Well, you gonna tell us it? Uh, the five core demands of the shoe prisoners. Five core commands. The shoe conditions, uh, free, freeing people from the shoe. Hopefully, you know, it's unrealistic at this point, but to turn those into minimum security units where people can, you know, come and go and, and eliminate the shoe altogether. I think it's very important to inform the public. The public does not understand. Uh, it's, it's, just like the, it's just like the issue of uh, gay marriage, how the, once, once a, a, a fulcrum point was reached, uh, public opinion sh rapidly shifted. Now it's getting up to that fulcrum point that's a, diff that's a difficult part. But the point is, if you uh, were in an auditorium of everyday people and you ask, uh, how many of you uh, support uh, s slavery, uh, the slavery of millions of people in America? Uh, raise your hands. <laughs> I don't think you see a lot of hands. If you ask how many people uh, do you think should be? Uh, do you think it's okay to disenfranchise millions of Americans from the political process? Raise your hand. And I don't think many hands would raise either. Right and justice are on the side of prisoners. What what's being done to them is wrong. Yeah. And and the people, the criminologists, everyone, they're looking. They only look at the individual. Mm. You know, they don't look at the social context in which uh, that individual came from. Yeah, nice one for that, Ed. Appreciate it. I know that you've got to go somewhere, so you're going to be driving, but you're still going to be talking to us, which I appreciate. Thank you.
you're doing all this inside prison you're organizing you're doing communiques all around the prison the prisoners essentially have a collective mind because you you're literally giving out literature to everybody and everybody's reading the same thing which means everybody's on the same page in it so that's where you start organizing that so like what happens is technological de developments as well so what happened with like computers and that how did that help you share your consciousness with other human beings that were also caged in these insane prisons i would do the layout of these different publications i was doing uh i would uh, type it out in in columns and then cut and paste onto uh, a sheet of paper and then have those Copied so it, you know, put white out in between. You probably don't know what white out is these days, but anyway, uh, it was it's all hand layout, and the same way with the uh, mailing list, which was about 600 people. And they put me in a hole as they often do whenever I go someplace. Uh, in, in fact, it, it well, yeah, they, they kept me locked up a lot. I was in, 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 in one four year period, I was at eight prisons in five states. I'm in uh, Monroe, and I'm in the hole, and after about 10 months, they come to me and months. say, we'll let you out. Um, I'm, I'm also, right, you know, filing lawsuits over being placed in, in, in segregation for no reason at all, and no means of getting out, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they, said, they said, make a long story short, they said, you can get out, but you have to go to work or go to school. So I didn't want to work for them, so I said, okay, I'll go to school. And I took a computer class, which I don't know why. I didn't even know what computers were. And lo and behold, I discovered word processing, where I could take a column of text and woo, it would just flow into the next columns. And I could cut and paste. It's, it's like me with podcasting, isn't it? Where I'm just talking to the microphone now and then it's just hitting whoever's listening to this, like it's hitting their eardrums and going straight to their brains mad isn't it? that's just the advances of technology and revolution is still here still struggling to grow but a pc to you at the time was like uh i'd found jesus and and so um i signed up for every computer class i could get and that wasn't enough i became the uh I became uh, the uh, teacher's aide, so I was in. I was working with computers all day now. Uh, but that still wasn't enough. I wanted one of these suckers in my cell, and so I, I started a, a campaign to allow prisoners who could buy them with their own money to have a computer in their cell. And. Needless to say, when I started this campaign, I was laughed. I was laughed at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm laughing just at the fucking thought of it, but obviously I know that you did it. By everybody, prisoners, administration alike. I wrote proposals. I did, I, I, I did you know, when a, when a high-level administrator would be going through the prison on tour, I would latch onto his leg like a bulldog. Uh, they just, you know, why? Just tell me why this can't happen. Finally, one of them said, okay, write me a policy 
I'll, I'll, I'll write me a draft policy and we'll see what we can do. So I wrote a, uh, I wrote a policy and uh, this is after two and a half years. Uh, and we were allowed to have, we were allowed to have uh, computers. In our, they, they authorized us to have computers in our cell. Sick. There were uh, uh, 52 of us that had computers. Well, sick. Well, technically, you authorized it. <laughs> it's just that they've got the fucking power. I would, I would uh, have a guard would walk by and I would have my computer to, using uh, 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 fingernail clipper and tweezers. I would have the motherboard out of that thing, everything tore it apart. I'm like a 16-year-old kid trying to trying to get another mile an hour out of his hot rod. I mean, I was, you know, I was just into this, you know, really, I, you know, I've been into law, I've been into politics, and now I was really into computers. Mm, yeah, and cool. We started a prisoner's user, user group called PUG, Prisoner's User Group, and we had outside user group people come in and meet with us. And so we had these uh, computers in our cells, I don't know, about three years. And there had never been a computer-related infraction. One of the things Pug did was start an anecdotal database of prisoners who had had computers in their cells and had been released, uh, whether they had come back or not. Uh, not a single pr uh, prisoner went out and they started their own computer business. They went to work for another computer business uh, or in, in some aspect of the computer line. And not a one of these people returned at no cost to the state. Uh, I was uh, released and they, 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 uh, they took the computers. There was no infraction. Uh, they just, the, the public perception, what we talked about earlier, was that this was coddling prisoners. And so here was, here was a, a group of prisoners that had no recidivism at no cost to the state and, and yet they shut it down because of appearances. And that's, that's the kind of thing that was. So I got, I got pretty smart with computers and I was released shortly after that. And I, I worked, uh, when I got out, I, I did temp work uh, for temp, temporary employment agencies, figuring that someone would recognize uh, my, my knowledge and qualities. And, and that, was, that was the case. I, I lost some jobs because they found out about my uh, record. But ultimately, uh, I, I got a job as a network administrator, and uh, then I got a call to go down to San Francisco to do a job for this company down there. I went down there and did it. And came, and I took a couple months. I came back, and uh, about three months later, they called me up and said, "How would you like to uh, uh, work for us permanently uh, at, uh, 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 at a rate of uh, just?" Just uh, right around fifty thousand dollars a year at that time. Fucking hell! And, and I was making thirty-seven. And so I told my boss, who I really liked, and who liked me, you know, can you match this? And he said, No, I can't. I said, nah, I don't want to leave, but I, you know, uh, there's no retirement plan here, and they have a four hundred one k, and you know, I'm pretty old. I need to start thinking about my old age. So, in California, there's a seventy percent recidivism rate. There's also uh, a 70% jobless rate among ex-offenders, mm -hmm. ex-cons. Uh, I mean, jobs are one of the things that are going to turn this around. People need, you know, meaningful work when they get out. Uh, 
learning how to uh, you know serve food on the main line is not making you employable, mm -hmm. and especially when you have the handicap of a criminal record on you. Uh, so they they just do. If you had a factory that produced a product with a 70% failure rate, uh, your stockholders would rebel. The public wouldn't buy your stuff. Uh, it would just, you know. But these people aren't held accountable. They, they're not asked to look for ways that uh, can bring this down. Or when ways that can bring recidivism down are brought to them, such as the computer program, oh, that's coddling prisoners. So it's all about the punishment. Well, there you have it, motherfuckers. You can be a revolutionary throughout your fucking life, just like Ed Mead, and give your fucking body and your time to the cause, and then have your body um, and time taken and exploited by the state through prisons, but it looks like it's fucking necessary if we're ever going to advance struggle. You know, listen to Ed Mead, read Ed Mead's Lumpen book, absolutely. It's like totally, he's like my number one fucking revolutionary figure because he's like the most recent um, who done serious action in the Imperial Corps, direct action, and still continued to do so in his later life. Obviously, he's an elder gentleman, okay? So we are all growing old. You know, that isn't a secret. That's literally the arrow of time and shit. Um, on a fucking cells of dividing <laughs> and shit like that. So basically, the fucking point I'm making for you is, is like we can live revolutionary lives. We can still have jobs. Ed Mead come from a fucking rough background. Ended up just robbing shit, stealing shit. You know, down a bad path um, early on, but he struggled to become working class. Fought. Um, to become working class, found his calling in computer technology. But you know, I've got to, I've got to meet this motherfucker man. I don't even know if he's still alive. It's insane. He, without him, there would be no revolutionary lumpen radio. Like that's where I fucking got lumpen from. Like I learned the lumpen proletariat from Ed Mead started that fucking rabbit hole, basically. So, if anybody can, like, fucking contact him, like, let me know where he is, how to get to him, how to speak to him, because I, like, I just feel like it's my life calling to know what he knows in that brain of his. He has a lot of information that I need in my brain, um, and we need to pass down this kind of elder shit to our younger generations of revolutionaries. He's the old guard, you know, the communists that, you know, in communist parties across the imperial core that are fucking a load of shit and useless and doing no good for no one, you know, they and would never, ever, ever see a cell. And most of the organisers within those organisations are scared of the fucking police anyway and have never been arrested. You know, we need revolutionaries, not people who are acting like revolutionaries. Um, revolutionary Lumpen Radio is all about revolution, isn't it? And backing the Lumpen and saying, let's fucking go towards communism together. So, basically, I'll just finish up um, with this. I know, it's been, it's, I know it's been a mad one for everyone, but it's a fucking mad one for me, but it's more of like a fucking spiritual fucking calling episode, this... 
Um, so Edmead, where the fuck can people find you and contact you and shit like that? I have an advanced stage lung cancer and I'm on chemo and taking different drugs. Uh, and so my mind is not as sharp or it's not the steel trap that it normally is. Uh, I have a book coming out probably this summer uh, about my life as a, uh, a, a political uh, activist uh, for prisoners. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I have to say. Well, they have it. The motherfucker's dying and I still haven't fucking met this person. I need to fucking meet this person. Like, fucking please, if you are in the US and you know he exists and he's still alive and shit, like, fucking please link us up because I need to know what he fucking knows. Honest to God, like, I need to meet this fucking person. Um other people need to fucking read Lumpen. Obviously, you listen to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, just go all out and read Lumpen, see what the George Jackson Brigade was, uh, see what they did, Men Against Sexism. There's a lot more explicit stuff that went on in the prison. As Ed said, he would never. He didn't have his total wits about him um, during this whole fucking interview that I've stole off somebody with like a measly fucking 300 odd youtube for like views since like 2015 or some bullshit it's a it's a fucking scandal if you ask me it's outrageous he's a revolutionary this is a communist this is a marxist menace who's given his entire life to class struggle literally inside and outside of the bars um <laughs> you know i'm on bail now who knows what's gonna happen but if they do send me to jogam this is the revolutionary practice that i am gonna go off from you know, the fucking elders that I've learned from, you know, the old guard, the real old guard, all power to people, workers and lumpen of the world, unite, subscribe to us on fucking Patreon, if you fuck your Disney fucking plus and your Amazon Primes and that, uh, we need fucking all the help that we can muster out here, keep us going, we do real shit, direct action all the, well, whenever the fuck we can, not all the time, because who the fuck has all the time, you know what I mean, like, we're, we're wage slaves out in here, I've got to fucking sell my body to a fucking multi-billionaire business to be essentially what they want as a machine, but they can't develop the machinery to do my job, so they have to exploit my body, you know how it is, innit, so yeah, uh, just fucking subscribe, all that bullshit if you're listening to a fucking podcast on like a apple fucking itunes fucking player or some shit just subscribe on that uh, do all your other shit share the shit on twitter who gives a fuck about anybody else what nobody else is doing nothing that's serious and like pushing class struggle on some next shit here um, if you know anybody for guests let us know if you want to come on the pod messages etc all powerful people do the same, I know how we play, baby. Listen, I'm in a car wash right now, but I'm hit you soon as I'm right over there. Right in the front, right? Yeah. Okay. Alright, gotcha. Son, who lace you with the ill haircut? Lenny, he blessed me with the sharp blade. That nigga's pain. He make a pretty penny. Yo, you heard him with them new Pradas. Check mine, they royal blue. 
My sister's baby blue. They powder blue. Yo sister's hot. You hiding with them frames on. Nigga, you James Bond and you stay low. You know my style, baby. Yeah, make dope, manicure, facial, face glow. Fuck it if you say so. I keep it PI. That's how we break hoes. We throwin' ivory dice across the concrete. And of course, that don't make them your man because y'all pawns. We had boxes bumpin' Lottie Dottie. Huh? Shotties was blasted, pellets jumpin' into everybody. They never got me. Was cool with all the park shooters. Sparkin' bazookas, sharpin' your tutors. Cause we don't pardon the snoozers. Yo, son, I wouldn't change my life for nothing. And that ain't like you for frontin'. Who's the nicest? Enough talkin', lights Yo, we hard hit, just like Camacho and Vargas. Who's the target? Now watch how we close the market. We both hard. Just like Hagler and Hearns, add the map, be concerned if it's beef you burn. Yo, it's sorta like Cartier and Bill Cosby. Let's do it again, a beautiful blend. Let's do it to win. My nigga, my nigga, my nigga, my nigga, my nigga, my nigga. What's today's mathematics? We had it, we let them hold it, we should've sold it. We back at it, we could've grabbed it, but fuck it, just let them have it. Come do a law, a law walk bar. God is the greatest. Planet Mars, we called in the faces. You couldn't catch us in the car without the bangers. Believed, I touched a couple of movie stars and entertainers. Indeed, one in particular almost started to name her. <laughs> I was there when you first pushed up and started to game her. Been a long journey, certain shit just don't concern me. They ain't hurting shit, we flip, they hire returns. Yo, I'ma stay custom till I'm old, gray, and rustin'. Reminiscing the number of chickens that claim uh, we fucked them. Bet some badder hoes than them other funky rappers shows. I'm trying to wipe a chick, light a split. This might be like okay. another part of life's a bitch. Write your lips, who's nice as this? We righteousness, no mic assist. It's murderous. Granted, the right to flip. Yo, hard hit, just like Camacho and Vargas. Who's the target? Now watch how we close the market. We both hard hit, just like Hagler and Hearns. Add the map, be concerned if it's beef you burn. Yo, it's sort of like Cartier and Bill Cosby Let's do it again, a beautiful blend Let's do it to win My nigga, my nigga, my nigga My nigga, my nigga, my nigga Yo, we hard hit, just like Camacho and Vargas Who's the target? Now watch how we close the market We both hard hit, just like Hagler and Hearns Add the map, be concerned if it's beef you burn Yo, it's sort of like Cartier and Bill Cosby Let's do it again, a beautiful blend Let's do it to win My nigga, 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 uh Like Spinks and Hearns Sorry, Cartier, Bill Cosby. Let's do it again, nigga.